Welcome to the podcast. Today I have two guests, two very different guests with very different stories. My first guest is Anne Scar Nielsen. She is a futurist and she will share with us, you can predict the future yourself. But she'll help us along the way. And in today's podcast, we'll talk about how you can always panic later. Trauma is good for you. And get this, you must follow the bunny hole. In particular, we'll cover a subject dear to my heart, the soul. The soul is something you can update, according to Anne. Russians love their children too, and workasm is a real thing. Once Anne's downloaded her insights, we'll be joined by a fantastic entrepreneur who's trying to create a platform to bring mentors to your door. David Hamby left school at 13 years old and built his career on the back of intuition. And today he believes we all need a mentor. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Audience, a little bit about yourself. Yes, I am the person who in the, the afternoon is drinking beer out of coffee cup. Brilliant. <laughs> but it's a non it's a non-alcoholic beer, so I think I allowed. But then I drink it out of the coffee cup, but then it doesn't look like you know that really awful person. Um, I am a mother of four. I have four boys. I'm married to the love of my life. I live uh, just outside of Copenhagen. I am a biologist by education, and then I'm also a political scientist, which is really good because political science is all about bullshit, you know, and it's all about cooking up new catastrophes that you can fix. And biology is natural science. That's the way forward, right? With facts and statistics and stuff that actually works. Uh, and then I'm a futurist. And I think that the, the reason why I'm a futurist is that I'm super, super curious. I love the future. I love science fiction movies. I love talking about dilemmas. I, I think that we are right now living at, in a moment of time that will be historic. I think I'm, I'm so lucky that we are that I'm alive right now and you are there as well, Simon. Mm. Otherwise, it would have been a strange conversation. But I think that you know our grandchildren will have conversations with us about. So you were in the Corona quarantine. You lived in those epic times where everything changed. And what did you do? And I, for one, would love to tell them stuff that I'm proud about, mm. not just saying that I gained some extra Corona pounds. Mm. and was really scared about the future that we, we actually made the most of it. So that's basically what I do. I um, give a lot of presentations. I teach, uh, I teach future studies. My vision is to win the Nobel Peace Prize before I die by delivering this message of the future to the world that you can actually predict the future yourself and that you can go about doing stuff about it. And uh, yeah, so I work with uh, making scenarios, with helping companies, private organizations, you know, doing stuff better. How does one become a futurist? Is it, is it a natural thing or is it part of what you've studied? I say it, it is actually a natural being. Having future sense, we call it, you know, that you, like you, you have sense of smell or taste or feeling or somebody will even say they have kind of like a sixth sense or intuition. Every person is born with the ability to predict the future. Brain science, science has actually had this epiphany that we have what is called a predictive mind. So the mind, your mind, Simon, everybody's mind is always on the lookout. You know, what could happen? What will come next? And 
are my kids doing all right and what will happen next year and blah, 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 blah. So it's always scanning the horizon about what is going on. But the problem is that for most people, if we don't know how to awaken the future sense, we don't know how to work with trends or how to spot a game changer or how to make a scenario or how to be imagined, just using your imagination. What happens is that the brain will predict the future on what already happened. So if you once got mocked in a dark alley in London, then your brain will see every alleyway as something that you should be afraid of. If you got burned by love, then your brain will tell you, oh, you know, love, that's a dangerous game to play because we got hurt before you and me, probably we're going to get hurt again. And if we believe that sitting in a corona quarantine with this global situation going on, if we believe that everybody is there for themselves and will eat each other children in five minutes from now, then that is probably what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's right now what is at stake is that we are leaving a mode, we actually call it tribal mode, where it was all about having more. If you grew a business, you wanted it to be a huge business and earning a lot of money. And if you could have four cars, then you were a big success. Not like Monopoly. Mm-hmm. And everybody else had, had to lose. You can't, we can't do that anymore. What is at stake right now is that the rule of the game is changing, which means that we have to be in it for better. Not just growing, but developing, solving great problems, being smarter people. And I, as a futurist, if I look into the future, I see one thing that's very common, and that is that all the problems that we have right now, no one can solve by themselves. You know, corona, uh, education, obesity, uh, running out of resources, fugitives, everything that's going on right now, politics, no, no person, no organization, no company, no ideology, no nation state will be able to solve the problems by themselves. So the, the future right now is forcing us to be better people and it's forcing us to do great stuff. So, so that, that was one answer. The other one is that I used to work at, a, at the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, where you do where you actually become a professional futurist. But I think that it's like running. You know, you can be a professional runner and you can win Olympic medals and you can make a living out of running. And you can also just be a recreational runner. And it's the same with being a futurist. You can be a recreational futurist and be good at making strategies, predicting the future for your own company. You don't have to be like I am all the time, 24-7. I think what's interesting about what you're talking about there as well is that you're, you're kind of appreciating the now. You're being grateful for living in this moment, in this moment in time. Yet you're also talking about the future and the potential of the future. But I guess what I take from that is that if you have a positive outlook on the future, you can almost appreciate what you've got now. In other words, you can look back and in 10 years from now and say what a wonderful, exciting, yes. interesting time it is now to have yeah. lived, right? To have had that experience. But a lot of people living in this moment right now, are frankly, daunted. You know, if, you, if you've lost yes. your job right now or um, you know, even worse, you've, you've perhaps uh, got, got someone who's sick in your family from coronavirus, it's quite hard to appreciate the now, right? Do you think having yes. a positive outlook on the future has helped you appreciate the now? Is that a fair comment? Yes, I, I, but I do think that we shouldn't be pessimistic or optimistic about the future. I think that was kind of like the old game where we did that. And it's not very productive because if you're like, you, you're now the optimist, Simon, you'd say that, you know, everything will be better and we will work together and I believe in it. And then I can be the pessimist. Then I can, see, then I can say to you, well, I don't really see it or I don't believe it. And then that's it. And then we become 
you know, you'll say that, I'll say that uh, you're stupid and you will tell me you're not a very empathetic person. And then, you know, we will unlike each other on, on Facebook and never talk again. Mm. That, that usually happens. And I think it's much better for us to just be kind of like point zero. You know, if you're sitting in, in, uh, in your life and everything is crap and people are sick and you lost your job, then just be a little neutral. Just be like, okay, so that happens. Uh, I have a motto, which is that you can always panic later. Mm. Later is always the right time to panic. So you can always panic later, and you can always be sad later, and you can always be angry later. But just give yourself a little space just to see, okay, I'm just like a tourist now. So that the mindset of a tourist and the mindset of a futurist is much better than being the optimist and the pessimist. The problem also with the optimist and the pessimist is that it's a coping strategy. And the coping strategy is super dangerous for us right now because as a human species, we are in maniacally and amazingly at coping. Like sitting under World War Three in a concentration camp, why didn't people just run? There were so many, why didn't they run? And it's because people can't, they can't tolerate the insecurity of something that you can't predict. If you're sitting in a crack situation that you can predict, then you can cope with it. And you will say, oh, tomorrow will be better. Somebody will come and fix it. Like, you know, maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis will come and save the day. But if you just become a little like neutral and you say, so how can I gain from this? How can this be turned into a magical situation? That's the mindset of a tourist because you can travel the earth on a budget with nothing but your name to it and still have an amazing journey. And then evil stuff will happen to you like it has done since the beginning of time. But if you always twist your mindset to see, okay, what's the positive outcome of that? There's actually a, a global trend right now where psychologists are looking into what comes after post-traumatic stress syndrome. And they call it PTG, which stands for post-traumatic growth. Between, I think it's between 75% and 90% of people who have experienced some sort of trauma come out on the other end and say, I am a better person. You know, I have grown from this crisis. But the reason why we don't talk about it is that it sounds super stupid when you say, you know, my wife died, but it, it's the best thing that ever, ever happened to me. Or I had cancer and I wouldn't have been without it. You know, it, it sometimes really sounds really stupid. I got fired and everybody died from Corona, but it's the most wonderful experience in my lifetime. That sounds not very nice, but it is usually what happens is that when we have these traumatic experiences, it's like a hero's journey. Every epic adventure, every movie, the hero has this downfall where they kiss the bottom. And what's, what we have to say, again, is that the future really wants us to become better people. Mm. It wants us to let go of old crap and old ways of thinking that we can't use anymore, or fear, or ego. If you can leave that behind, you will, you will experience that the future is a magical place. Mm. I, I take what you're saying there as kind of embrace risk. And, yes. and that to, to me, that, that's the translation. It's like actually taking a risk. You may fail. It might, it might be painful, but you're going to come out of that pain stronger and better, right? That, yes. Yeah. And, yes. and, 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 and also, tr also trust, you know, that we have to trust in each other. But trust is not stupidity. And trust is not being naive. It is predicting. When you're predicting the future, if you can predict that something could go wrong, 
then you would of course make a, what do you call that you know when you are in the circus you have the security net underneath the trapeze mm -hmm. so so making the, that kind of stuff in your life where if i fall i will predict that i will fall can i do something in order for me to cushion the blow mm -hmm. it's like if you're if you're watching if the trend the future is like a tsunami coming towards you if you can see it coming then you can brace yourself and and it will hit you and you will get wet but you see it coming if you if you turn your back to it and it hits, hits you in the back as a big huge surprise and all your belongings you know are down the tube then of course you get traumatized so i think that that you you are spot on when you say that it is looking at the risk and it is predicting that stuff will happen and i think that everybody right now are in for a ride i think the next 10 years will be very dramatic i think it will be so hard on people who don't know how to cope with not having a job who don't have this freelancer or entrepreneurial um, gene in their body that, that think that somebody will come and save them. I think that it, it's going to be super, super hard. You know, Denmark used to be a place where we had this uh, labor market that would really take care of people. If you, ha if you were a married couple 10 years ago and you had a job at the airport, that was like, <laughs> you know, you're a married couple working in the financial industry, set for life. If you meet those people today, you know, let's say you go to a party and there's a married couple and they don't, they both work at the airport. You would be like, are you, are you insane? You know, that's, that's kind of like the most risky thing you could be as, is a married couple working at the same place. So I think that's, that's where the rules of the game is changing is that if you expect that you could have a job for life, like your parents, yeah, then you're going to be super, super disappointed. But if you see it and you actually can see, okay, there's a risk connected to having this kind of way of life. So so that is what I endure, that's what I'm coping with. And if I lose my job, then the wave hits me, but I knew that it was coming and then I can start doing something else. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I think trust is another interesting word. I, I guess, you know, I, I've interviewed a lot of people on my podcast show who, who often talk about asking the universe for what they need and trusting the yeah. universe to provide it. Is, it, is that how it works? Yes, it, 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 yes, I'd say that the future, if I had to give you one message from the future, the future would say, where are you? You know, come and play, it's so much fun over here. Mm -hmm. Just ask me anything and I will deliver it to you. So it is actually right. And one of the reasons why everything seems to be so super speedy today is that what's happening is that imagination, see, I am a little bit, yeah, there I am. Imagination and creatorship are closing in on each other. So having an idea and actually doing something about it and making it real is coming closer and closer and closer to each other. And that also means that if you can imagine it, if you're asking the universe for something, that means that you are starting to believe in something else. So future sense is mind, body, and soul. Mind is seeing the future. Body is having a sense about, you know, is it magic? Would I like to go there? Or does it scare me? Or do I get super annoyed about it? Or am I angry? So you're, you're, you're kind of navigating with your emotions. Many people have tried to have this, you know, when people maybe had a job and your CEO started talking about this is the way that we are going with the company. And then they're sitting, mm, you know, it's like, mm, I don't really feel it. <laughs> I can't put words on it, but it's like, nah. And then hindsight kicks in, because then when stuff goes wrong, everybody is saying, yeah, I knew it. 
I knew it. Mm. Yeah, but you couldn't say it because it wasn't there. So when you travel into the future, you don't do it with what you understand and see. You, you travel into the future but with what you feel and anticipate. And that means that the final part, which is soul, so mind, body, soul, your soul is what you believe. You can call it energy, you can call it culture, you can be a spiritual person. But soul is what you believe in about the future. And what you believe is always a choice. It's always a choice. If you believe that the earth is flat, you make the decision that this is what I believe. And I live in Denmark, you know, it's like flat, like in the Netherlands. So I can see it, right? If I look out the window, well, it's flat. <laughs> and if somebody came and told me, you know, no, it's not flat, I actually had proof. We had space, you know, and pictures from the outside. And I say, yeah, yeah, that's a conspiracy, conspiracy theory. <laughs> I don't believe it. Yeah, you don't believe it because you believe something else. And the people who rattle your boat, who will say that actually, you know, realizes that the world is round, that's super annoying. So, so if you can seek out irritation, if you can talk to the people who annoy you the most, then you will grow so much as a person. That's actually the biggest step we can take in is to say that the future is not a comfortable place. Mm. I think that's the old rules. The old game was that life had to be comfortable. Mm. Why? Because for our parents and their grandparents, it was super uncomfortable. Mm. So if you had a bed to sleep in, you had food in your stomach, you weren't hungry, there was, uh, you know, you didn't get mocked on the street, you had police taking care of you, you knew there were education for your children. You didn't have to go and be super fearful all the time. But right now, I think that comfortability, is that the word? You know, that stuff has to be comfortable. Yeah. That yeah. might be our huge, hugest enemy because life is not comfortable and mm. the future is going to be nasty. And it's going to be like training for an Iron Man mentally and in the soul and in the body. And every time something happens, if we feel, oh, it doesn't feel good. Yeah, but that's life, you mm. know. The good life is not the comfortable life. Mm. The good life is like a computer game where you have to grow. So, so you have to ask yourself, what do I believe? Mm. Do I believe that the world is abundant and I can ask for it? Like you're saying, is that how it works? If you believe it, then mm. that's how it works. If you believe that it's a bleak, dark hole and there's nothing for me and we have to take those, you know, that, that everything is limited. There's only so much money to go around and we need to give it to the elderly or, or the sick or the disabled first. And then maybe that would be some, something for people from other countries. Well, then that is the future that we're going to create. Mm. So, so I hope that people will believe that we can actually make better and we can be better people. Mm. I, I think it's fascinating and I, in, in sense that it's, it's very topical what you're talking about. I think, for example, um, I was talking to someone the other day about social media and how if you have an opinion on social media there's a lot of trolls a lot of people will come yes. on and have a disagreement with you and someone said to me who's quite prolific on social media just ignore the trolls and i said to them my yes. feeling is i actually like confronting the trolls i enjoy having the debate and not necessarily trying to convince them because actually sometimes they've got a point i you know on tiktok you've got 15 yes. seconds to make a make a statement so they might say you sound arrogant they're probably right, you know, because I've got 15 seconds to get across a very difficult point. But I actually enjoy challenging people and, and having discussions with people around subjects that they really, really believe in. So I think it's fascinating when you say, so is what you believe. I, I, what's interesting about that statement for me is, does it mean you can update your soul then? Because if, yes. if I, which I don't think people think they can. They think their soul is this fixed asset, right? 
And, and yeah. when you die, that's the thing you lose, that belief. Maybe you've lost the belief that you're alive. Is it, can it go that deep? Yes, I think that, that that's a really good way of, of saying it. And, and I do think that you can upgrade your soul. Maybe that's why we are here. You know, I, I'm, I have a big, uh, a big uh, uh, love for quantum physics. And there's a quantum physicist who said that maybe we are the universe taking a vacation. Mm. So why are we here? We are here to be creators. So we are here to make the world a better place with the means that we've got. And we are here to experience magic. So do you know the sensation of a magic moment, you know, where you're, you, maybe you had a crappy day and then something happened and you just feel like, ah, oh, <laughs> this is so great. <laughs> those, those moments, that magic moment, you can actually now photograph them. Mm. So there's, there's this crazy theory in quantum physics that they actually get uploaded to the universe so that the universe knows what it is that we want more of. So when you have your magic moments, then you actually have to pause and reflect. I don't know if we're allowed to say workasm, but that's also sometimes what we call them. Right. Work <laughs> so you work on something, you work and work, and then you have this workasm where you're looking at your team and you're thinking, oh my God, I'm so happy. And you thought that you were supposed to be happy about something else, right? You thought you were supposed to be happy about winning a medal or being on the cover of a magazine or getting a raise at work or getting praised by somebody and then you realize that's actually not what floats my boat mm. you know i actually get so happy when i see other people succeed or i get so happy when you know like you have a troll and then you actually get along mm. and then you're thinking this is amazing mm. and you can use it again if you have a troll if you get annoyed with the troll then you are the troll mm. yeah well, then, in that case, annoyed, I've, it's because you're wrong. I've definitely been a troll myself a few times by mistake. Then yes. uh, going, going under your definition, Me but, too. I, but I but I still I still enjoy the process, <laughs> and I think you know it's um, I, I like I think we're we're daytime TV right now, so I think we're okay with workism. I don't I don't workism. <laughs> I'm going to say it wrong and get myself into trouble, but it's a very interesting point because I agree. I mean, I, I thought I thought selling my company. Uh, for a lot of money would be this amazing moment and and actually it wasn't um, the money dropped in the bank account yes there's a moment of oh great the money's in the bank account but there's also a feeling of like a bit like what you're talking about well what next you know and yeah. there's almost like an empty feeling straight after the happy moment you know so it, it's, it's a fascinating way of looking at things I, I wonder um, I've got loads of great questions coming in that I'm going to throw up on the screen in a minute so uh, just so that you guys know I'm, I'm seeing your questions I'm going, to, I'm going to ask Anne in a minute just before I do I wanted to understand you know how a futurist grew up I mean you must have had this instinct and this way of thinking when you were growing up are your parents futurists did they find you hard to handle as you told them what was going to happen how, how does it work as a kid <laughs> well I, I, I'm pretty normal you know, I, am, I, I would consider myself being super boring. You know, I'm a really, really boring person. This is the most naughty thing I can do. It's like drinking non-alcoholic beer out of a cup. Oh, you didn't mention it was non-alcoholic. <laughs> that, 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 like is, that, is, that is boring. Sorry? No, you, didn't men you, didn't mention it wasn't that good. you didn't mention it was non-alcoholic. So, uh, yeah, you're going to have less people judging yeah, it's you now. Non it's non-alcoholic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> My, my parents are academics. Uh, my dad is a, a teacher, now retired, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, and then I have an 
older brother who's an engineer and I actually work together with my younger brother. So mm. we, we uh, have Universal Futurist together mm. and it was safe and secure and nice. I didn't fit in at school. I think I might have, if I, if I grew up today, I would most certainly get a diagnosis. Mm. Um, maybe a little too smart for your age. Mm. Book, bookish child grew up in a library because I, I didn't get bullied per se, but I was just never included. And mm. I think that might have turned on a gene superpower in me because I don't have this need to fit in. Mm. I, I, I grew up on the periphery. For nine years at school, I, ne- I didn't have any friends, and I wasn't included in the community. Mm. And I just see that many, many grown-ups have this basic fear, what if I get pushed out of the community? Mm. Who am I then? Mm. And because I grew up like that, for me, that was, for me it, the challenge has been the other way around, is how to have friends, and especially how to have female friends. Mm. That took me like 40 years before I, I kind of felt, you know, at ease with being together with, uh, with women. Mm, that's fascinating. I, I actually just did a whole video blog on how I don't have enough friends and how uh, how difficult it is to make friends as you get older, any, in general anyway. But, um, yeah. but you know, I think what you're talking about there, your, your own post-trauma when you were young caused this growth in you that made you a bit more independent, yeah. right? So, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, I, I just want to keep asking you questions myself, but I've got people asking questions. So I thought I should let other people have a go. But just before I let other people have a go, one more question. I mean, what do you think about education today, considering, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's structured? Do, do you think it's serving the next generation well? Or, and do you think there's a, there's a fix to it if it's not? I think that if I, if I got my way, I would make kids much more entrepreneurial. Uh, in Danish... The word for getting, you know, your social security number is CPR, and then you, when you get your your business number, it's a CVR. I guess in British, it's a, is it VAT? You get you get this number registration. National number insurance number, yeah. 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 So I think that every kid should have that when they get born. Mm. You know, they have a social security number, but they should also have a business registration number, because then you are born independent. You you are born as a person who could be his own maker or her mm. own maker. Mm. I think it would be great if children learned that mon- money does not come from mom and dad. Mm. Mommy comes from solving a problem and then it's a, it's a relationship. It's also the old game is that money is bad. Mm. You know, the, I hear so many entrepreneurs who say that I'm not in it for the money. And then I say, could you then please be in it for a shitload of money? Ah. <laughs> because Good people in the future have to earn good money, mm. really have to break up this mindset that money is evil. Mm. The only reason why money is evil is because we leave them to evil people mm. who, who, who do crappy stuff with them. Mm. If you seem like a really nice person, Simon, and I think that if I gave you 10 million pounds, I think you would put them to good use. Yeah. I don't think you would get your magic out of buying 10 cars for a million a piece. I think that you would solve problems in your community. Mm. You would, uh, you know, you would invest in in entrepreneurs. You would uh, teach at schools. You would write a book. You know, you would put your put money to good use. Mm. So, so money is just a relationship that you should really ask the future and the universe for, because there's so much money in the world right mm. now. Mm. And I think that if we could teach children that, te- teach them to uh, be able to to uh, work in teams, to acquire new skills to let go of old crap, to um, be in this complexity where we never finish, you know, there's never an, an end goal. I think that life will be much more like dancing than, than, than you know, very often. It's like we as grown-ups, we think that now I'm here, and then when I'm here, I'm happy. 
Mm. Right? I'm starting here and then I have to do all these things and then I'll be happy. So, so I'm buying a house and then when I retire, then I'll be happy. Mm. And I think that the future will be more magic moment now, mm. you know, that you have to be happy every day, mm. which is more like dancing. Mm. If you see people dancing, you're not asking them, you know, so where are you going? Mm. <laughs> you just enjoy them dancing. Like if we are cooking and then you might say, okay, when are you finished? But then, then what you mean is that when are you finished with this meal? It's not like when are you finished forever with cooking? Mm. That's when, you know, when I'm giving up life, I'm finished with eating. Mm. But this is a skill that I'm acquiring and I'm solving a problem and I'm looking at what's there and then I'm making a meal. One day it's a magnificent meal, other days it's a takeaway. I think that's more that, that life is going to be like. Mm. So I think that if, if we could kind of like turn the school system inside out, and telling young people that we need them so much. We are the generations who fucked up the world. Mm. We have made so many problems for you, and now you have to go and solve them. Mm. And it's going to be super funny, and we'll be there and support you in doing that. Mm. You're saying so many things that I just absolutely love, <laughs> and I hope the audience <laughs> is picking up on some of this stuff, and I hope people listen to this later. You know, I, I love the idea of giving people... Um, a registered company when they're born, you know, and, and, and national insurance, that's the equivalent in England, as soon as you're born, and, and, and giving people that opportunity to be in control of their own destiny, I guess, you know, and, yeah. and the, the point you make about money is a really fascinating one too. I, I watch with my three-year-old, I personally try to make money fun with my son, we play shopkeeper, he negotiates the price up on me. Some things he won't sell to me because he likes them so much, like his toy crocodile. <laughs> you know, so he realized that there's money, money has a certain value, but there's some things you just can't buy. You know, like having fun with money is something that's got lost along the way too. And I'm not talking about possessions. You know, I'm, I'm talking about, because I, I worry possessions own people in the end. And, and, and I, I think money itself, like you say, I, I just saw a great post from someone who um, was talking, they were a director of a company and, and people were like, oh, you know, greedy um, greedy pig, basically. You know, you're a director of a company yeah. making lots of money, and um, and he made this post about how hard he worked to try and employ people, pay people well. You know, and and, and the difficulties actually of, of of running a business. And so I think I think it's really interesting because people do assume if you're an owner of a company, you're rich and therefore you know evil. Uh, and there are plenty of people doing good things with money. And, um, and 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 so yeah, yeah. I, I I love the whole theme. Okay, I'm gonna um, I'm I'm not gonna just. Ask my questions all the time. I've got loads more, but I'm going to let someone else have a go for a second. So, uh, Atisha's asking, uh, how do you know your instincts are right, are the right way to go? That's a good question. I, I love that. What, what, what do you think? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. With your, with your instincts are right. I'd say that looking, uh, looking in the hindsight, I'd say that if you have an instinct, you should react much more spontaneously and then see what happens. Uh, in the future, there is no right and wrong decisions. That's the old game, is that, you know, you, you had to make sure that you're making the right decision and you're thinking about it and pondering and looking at what the others are doing. But right now, there's so much new stuff going on. When I give keynote presentations, I often ask my, my, my audience, so anybody here try to be in a global quarantine with social media on top? Please raise your hand. <laughs> and then they're laughing, of course, because nobody tried. So, okay, is it okay that we're kind of like exploring, being a little touristic? So, so if you're in, in new grounds and you're having this instinct that I should do something, I say roll with it. Mm. and then make it the right decision. Mm. It's like if you and me, Simon, we're talking about should we go to... Uh, 
to, uh, you know, should we go to Barcelona or should we go to Madrid? There's no right and wrong decision. There's making a decision and then shutting up about it and then going to Madrid and making it the right decision, knowing that we are not going to Barcelona, maybe next year or maybe never. And I think that today we need much more action. Coming back to the spiritual, female spirituality, female energy has arrived but female energy has to be met with masculine energy. And that is what the world is lacking right now. Because spirituality, the feminine energy is talking, reflecting, uh, feeling well. That's why a lot of spirituality right now is yoga pants, crystals, beads. You know, it's like everything has to be nice. And many, many masculine individuals, which mean men, they think this is too wordy. You know, I'm getting scared about it. It's too slow where masculine energy is action. It is doing something, fixing something, building something. And then the, the, the very important point is that men have to be better or masculine energy has to be better at reflecting. So if you're just doing manly st- stuff, then what happens is that you can be this, uh, you know, this, this bully about it. But if you look at it all afterwards and you're talking and you're saying, hey, should I handle that better? Should I have done that in a different way? That is what the pilots are doing. So if you're, if you're talking with pilots, they will say, if I make a mistake, it's very, very natural for me to, to talk with the other pilots about what happened. And they will never blame you because they want you to fix it and they want to learn from it. And that's different from other settings. Like if you go into politics, is that what they're doing? No, it isn't. So, it's, so in politics, it's very hard to reflect, and it's a huge blame game. So if our, our, our audience is in this position where I'm actually able to react spontaneously to my instinct, do that. But afterwards, reflect about it mm. and look at, like pilots, what could I have done better? Mm. I, yeah, I, mean, your I, think I, don't, I know we don't want to um, get into politics too much, but I think the problem, the problem there is that politicians aren't predicting what's going to be a good future for their population, they're literally listening to the, what the population thinks and figuring out who's going to give them 51% of the vote. And yeah. so, so they're, they're, they're taking a measure of what people think instead of helping people see the future, right? Ironically. Yes. It is the unmet female energy. Mm. Because when female energy is not met by the masculine energy, then mm. the female energy goes like around and around and around. Mm. Interesting. And gets yeah. bitchy and needy and clingy and unable to make a decision. Mm. You, you can say that. I think I'd get lots of additional trolls if I, if I said such a thing. It's interesting. I mean, I, 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 I've spent the last few years um, try, trying to be a, a co-parent with my wife and, you know, taking care of my son in equal measure with my wife. And it's made me realise, for example, the, uh, how, in, in a, how wrong it is that, for example, men get different time off to women when a baby is born. Um, yes. And so, you know, if we, if we want equal rights, it has to be adjusted on the male side as well as the female side, right? I, 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 that's yes. what I take from what you're saying. We, we have to give men and women equal rights in all areas, both sides of the equation, to ultimately make things equal. Because when someone's hiring yes. someone, if they know that person, that, that lady could have a baby and be gone for six months, that guy, if he has a baby, he's probably going to be gone for two weeks. You know, and so yes. that affects the hiring process, right? Yeah, so, that, that so, is so true. Yeah. But a good thing, way of thinking about it, because usually then people would say, I'm, I'm complaining about it, or it sounds like you're complaining about it. And I think it's very, very important for all of us that we are kind of comp- compartmentalizing. So you're saying, 
just me thinking that this is wrong and actually believing that it should be like this. That's a huge step into the future. Mm. Being in this position where you're looking into a world and saying, I actually feel connected to the planet. I can actually feel like a friend to a guy in Australia. Mm. I can actually feel empathy to a koala bear that's mm. popping in Australia because of the fire. Mm. It actually hurts me on the inside. Mm. That's a brand new thing that didn't happen 50 years ago. Mm. I'm, I'm young enough and old enough to remember this uh, song by Sting where he's, sing, where he's singing, I hope the Russians love their children too. Yeah. And yeah. I can remember, I was like, hey, <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. maybe the Russians love their children too. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking care of elderly people. There has never before now been a time in the history of humanity where we cared about other people's parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we could care maybe about our own parents, but retirement up until maybe 80 years ago was uh, being pushed over a cliff. In, the, in Greenland, it was walking into the ocean. Mm. It's like when, when you looked at your parents and you're saying, hmm. <laughs> and then they had to wander into the forest. Mm. That has been retirement since the beginning of time. Then we came up with retirement in the 1920s. And now it's kind of like everybody thinks that it's, it's, a, mm. you know, it's a human right to have retirement, but it's actually brand new. Mm. The, the new, the really radical change is that people are leaving the labor market. That's a radical change. It's not natural for people not to be uh, used. It's one of the greatest fear we actually have is that nobody needs me. Mm. So, so I think that that whole way, again, when you're saying that equality and men and with the children, that's the new game coming in where working is not having just a job. Working is, I want to be a person that's needed. I want to mm. be a dad. Mm. I want to be a a good neighbor, I want to be a good friend, I want to be a husband, I want to be somebody who provides value when I go to, if I go to some place where I'm lifting or moving or typing, I want that to matter. Mm. I think that that's just a new paradigm that you're tapping into. Mm. And we should feel good about that. Again, mm. you, you ask me, is that what the future wants? Is it that simple that you have to tell it what it is that you want? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, well, I mean, it's interesting. Again, I, I, I'm going. To, I've got another guest coming on to join us now, an entrepreneur called David Hanby. He's going to come and tell us what he's up to in a second, and he's kindly waiting in the waiting room. I'm going to have to have you come back on because uh, 38 minutes has gone by, and I feel I like I have, and I haven't, yeah. I haven't even uh, touched the surface of some of the stuff I think we could get into. I mean, you just mentioned neighbours there, and we want to be friends with our neighbours. When I moved to England, back to England after a few years overseas, I wanted to be friends with my neighbours. But they didn't necessarily want to be friends. One of my neighbours is Ricky Gervais. You know, he's busy. You know, so Ooh, I, I, yeah. I come back with this dream of being friends with my neighbours and they're busy, you know. So we could get into the whole psychology of that. You're getting a lot of love online right now. A lot of people oh, um, nice. really Thank appreciating you. your, your insights. I'm just throwing them up. So Supreme Factory, thanks. Uh, Peter, I know that's you. Talia, thanks. Uh, uh, David's coming on next. He's kindly also saying he's finding it interesting. So thanks. Um, I, I, uh, I think we'll take one more question and then we'll go to David. Um, I, I've got a, a Dirk here who I know actually, he's German. So this, this feels like a very German question. What is your recommendation and process to assess the future? Research and actually pre-search. There is so much stuff out there. It makes my life so easy. And, and again, I never tire of getting new knowledge. I can, you know, watch movies, hear podcasts, consume audio books. And if, if you have a, a topic, that's actually where you have to start from. Because if you're a professional futurist, everything is 
interesting all the time. We we call it um, uh, rabbit rabbit butts. You know, uh, Alice in uh, what do you call that book? Wonderland. Alice yeah. In, in Wonderland. Yeah. She follows this rabbit down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And that is what you do when you're a futurist, is that you see this little rabbit butt. So you're reading, 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 and all of a sudden there's something where you're thinking, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then you follow the rabbit butt yeah. down the hole, down the tube. Yeah. And there's not this point of where you're thinking, I have to use it. It's more like, that just caught my attention. That was super interesting. Mm. So you have to see the future as a puzzle, mm. never-ending puzzle with a million pieces. And a trend is a puzzle piece. Mm. And, and if you take it, like if you want it to fit to, to what you already know, no, 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 don't do that. Just leave it there. And then you have another one, you have another one, you have another one. And all of a sudden you get a vision. Then you start seeing, oh my God, maybe we could pre-tire instead of retire. Maybe it should be so that when you get kids, you can pre-tire. Maybe it's actually possible for humans and everybody, every young person in Britain, that they could retire when they are 30 years old. Maybe we could make it so that they could create a, a, you know, a affluence in their life so that they actually don't have to work mm. because they are now living in a green house with green energy <coughs> that makes them so much money that they don't have to have a job, mm. which means that when we go to work in the future, it's because we want to create, you know, we are free individuals who want to create something mm. nice. Mm. And maybe a lot of people don't have to have you know, secondary service jobs they don't love because the robots can do it, mm. and then they can be nice neighbors. Mm, I, I'm liking that. Actually, <laughs> yeah. that, that's a, a, a mindset technique that I have used to try and help people that can't seem to shift themselves to actually give attention to their dreams. So when I, when yes. I say to them, they're so busy with their lives and worrying about the mortgage or worrying about the car payment, that if I, you know, they tell me their dream and then I say, why don't you do it? They can't shift. I often tell them, just imagine a world where robots are doing all these things and there's an abundance of money, and you don't have to worry, but uh, yeah. they, they still go back to their jobs uh, nine times out of ten. But, uh, but look, yeah. let's bring David just on. To the, just to end the question, if I may, because sure. the, the other one was more specific. So how do you find and assess trends? Is that you have to, to pick a vantage point. Mm. So if you're taking yourself, let's say that you work in IT development, then just Google it. Mm. Just Google top ten trends in IT development post-corona, mm. and you will find 17 conferences and five reports and two books and, mm. and seven interviews. And then you just dig into it with this open mindset where you're looking for puzzle pieces. And, and I can deliver an entire keynote speech on three trends. Mm. But I'm just saying, isn't this interesting? Mm. What do you think? Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. I also tell people, you want to know the future, you can look at the past. A, a lot of the time, history does repeat yes. itself, right? Human nature is, uh, you know, it, it kind of repeats its instinct. It might take a different form. Uh, but the, the, there's always the same thing. Capitalism and how it works is, you know, we can look back to see how it works. We know how monopoly ends, right? So, yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. David, thank you for your patience. Hi. Hello, David. Hi there. That, that was so fascinating. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I, I'm sorry to say you're going to have my logo stuck on your forehead. So uh, in, in, <laughs> enjoy it. Enjoy it. Right. Right. Well, it looks great. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Welcome, welcome to the podcast. Um, why don't you just kick off by telling the audience and Anne a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. So I, I, I just stumbled across uh, you recently, and I, I found it so fascinating. I think one of the things that sparked my interest was the in, was the parallel between backgrounds of leaving school at an early age. I left school at thirteen, and I was fascinated in technology and psychology from an early age. It was a bit young to become a psychologist, so 
I got into coding and coding was sort of my thing for really quite a, a good 10 years. I got into building websites and, and doing SEO and building software. And th throughout that whole period, I, I still had a passion for psychology, but I hadn't taken it seriously. I was just building small web businesses, etc. Um, at the age of about 25, I decided to take it seriously and go into my interest in psychology. So I moved to London at the time and spent a few years training in different cognitive therapies. My kind of key interest within that was more about helping people in high performance. I learned a lot about helping people in different therapeutic issues, you know, anxiety, confidence, etc. Um, but I found high performance kind of most fascinating. And I think one of the reasons for that was that I realized at an early point that if I can help someone directly, that's a great thing. But if I can help someone who helps other people, then that impact is bigger. So if I can help a leader, that impact is bigger. So I got into to this idea and then I realized it could be bigger than that. So I started up a, a charity at the time, which was pretty small, but the idea was to gather coaches and sort of performance um, experienced people to actually help charity leaders, to coach charity leaders and give them more understanding of how to run an organization, how to sort of grow, etc. So I worked on that idea for a little while, but because it was a charity, it wasn't it wasn't profitable and I was less experienced, it was hard to make it work. So I learned a lot of lessons and I think throughout all of my years of working as an entrepreneur, I've, I've learned lessons through so much, a, a lot of failure, to be honest. A lot of failure has taught me a lot and a little bit of success. And so at the age of about 26, 27, I started getting into actually working with businesses and, and business leaders. I was really fortunate to meet a mentor of mine who, at the time, I didn't realize quite <coughs> how experienced he was and I offered to work for him and learn from him and he he sort of he, he, he sort of coached me out of it at first he sort of tried to get me to believe in myself more but I, I realized actually it just felt right to 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 persist so I tried again a, a few times over a course of a week or so and eventually he sort of realized it was actually an opportunity for him to get some help and get get someone in and within a month I was helping him run board retreats with executives in big companies and international companies and helping them see their own psychology, see their own thinking and see how their thinking creates their experience, creates their world. And so it was really interesting to hear and talk about that because really the, you know, the retreats we did looked into that in depth just for, for three days and looked at nothing else and look, looking at the power of the fact that our thinking is always occurring. And it's always creating our experiences, creating our feelings all the time. And we overlook that. And once we start seeing that, we, we can recognize that we have this quality of mind that goes up and down, you know. And, and when we understand that, we can realize that anxiety and things like that are just temporary. They will, they will pass. It's just a state of mind. And behind our state of mind is a wisdom, is, is life. There's this force that is life. And that life is what creates everything. It's what creates the plant and whatever it is. So it's a little bit spiritual, you know. Mm. And realizing that and tapping into that, I think, can give you a confidence that transcends circumstance mm. and uh, an ability to tune into your own wisdom and, and stopping looking outside 
for for answers, realizing you have a lot of wisdom yourself. So I got into that field for a few years and then at some point, probably about two years ago, I had the insight that I, I wanted to go back to building a building a, a sort of group of people who could mentor others and support others. Um, and this idea was seeded and I started thinking about how technology work in this sense. So last year I founded a company and we built an app. We've now uh, got the app working, we've got a management portal and um, a few other cool things. And the key focus of what we're doing is really to facilitate creating mentoring relationships. So I realized that my ability to make a difference would be limited just working by myself. And by creating technology, that, that means it's scalable. That means it can essentially spread around the world and that can enable people to meet mentors. It can enable people to be mentors, which as you say, is so rewarding, immensely rewarding to, to be a mentor. Um, and, and I just realized there's, there's so much scope for this. So we've essentially just launched and our key focus initially is helping companies, helping larger companies uh, to create more mentoring relationships within their company because we know that's good for career satisfaction, retention, job performance, etc. So being able to create a network of mentors is a powerful thing. And as we grow that, we also want to work on the, the public space and enable people around the world to just go on and, and say, I want to be a mentor. Someone else says, I, I want to be a mentee. The algorithm can help match people up and uh, do some good in the world. Mm. That's, the, that's, that's it, really. I, I really like it. Thanks for coming on and sharing your idea. Um, and what we try to do here is, is, is uh, have an entrepreneur come on, tell us their story and get our community to help. Ironically, David, I guess, in a way, there might be some people out there that could, uh, could mentor and support within your, your network. Um, um, David, tell us what you need. What, what, what is it, what's stopping things moving faster right now? Or what is it you actually need, do you think? Okay, so really we're just launching. And I think a key element would be in a better understanding of how to approach large organizations without a dependency on our network. So I, I have a uh, current investor, I have other potential investors. Um, they of course have network and that would be valuable to get us going, get us started. <coughs> but it, it, I think it'd be valuable to look into how, how to approach organizations without, without just sort of building a big marketing funnel, but also be able to, to be able to sell directly. And I think we're, we're not experienced that, that yet because we've just launched and so we're just starting. Uh, so selling into organizations would be uh, an area I'd love to hear a little bit about. Well, well Anne, I feel like you've probably got a good uh, view on this. I will just say what I think, and I think it's partly probably what Anne's been doing. Pre-COVID, one of the big things was going and doing keynote talks and giving value to the audience. And in that audience would be, hopefully, if you pick the right events to talk at, uh, people of influence that would pick up on what you're saying and sell you to themselves. So I, I've done this myself, I've done a TEDx talk, um, which isn't quite as glamorous as a TED talk, but uh, I'm, I'm proud of it. And, and I did find just by doing that talk and then that talk getting posted online, a lot of people realize uh, that you've got something interesting to bring to the table. And so I, I've been selling to corporates really from the age of 20. So, and I, and I've, I like to say you know, I've, I've sold once to every Fortune 500 company something. But I, I do find that, that, that always with these relationships, the mistake people make is they walk in the room and start selling what they've got. And I think the, my view is you walk in the room and listen to what they need. 
and hope somewhere along the line they need what you've got. Anne, what do you think? I think it's amazing. I love it. I think that, that you are what we call a, a multi-person, which means that you are perfect for the future because the future doesn't need so much to have these you know, really clever, smart experts. But multi-people are people who can do many things and have many interests. And, and I'm, I'm sure that you must have tried sitting at a party and then somebody says, so what do you do? And then you say, well, I do this and then I do that. And I can also do this and then this is my interest. And then I did this and this. I have this dream. And then they look at you like, so, so you, so you kind of, you like, are you a coach? <laughs> and then you end up just a consultant. <laughs> and that's because there's not a word for what it is that you do. You know, in the old mindset is I want to put you down in this box. And then I know that you're in this box and ah, that's nice. So you should just own that you are a multi-person and that the future is open and ready for you. And you have many blind angles because probably the world has not, it's been probably pretty hard. I'd imagine, you know, that you have been falling on your ass many times and then you get up again with this visionary person I want to be and I want to heal the world. But what you will experience in the coming years is like riding your bike downhill with the wind in your back. Mm. Do you know this sensation? So know that it's yeah. actually going to be much easier than it was before. But it's also scary because you feel like your bicycle is falling apart and it might be a little too speedy. And then you just have to enjoy it. You know, you have to say, okay, 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 just, just hope for the best. It's going to work. It's going to go. I think that there's, there's, we, we want to sell. You know, I, I have this product I want to sell. But already there you have a misconception that the other person is in this position where he can say no to what it is. And then, oh, we have to bargain back and forth and do the cold sale and it's not very nice. Nobody wants to be there. I think instead you should say to yourself that you have an amazing, awesome product that can heal the world and make everything better. But it's not for everybody. You, you have to have this, you know, this avatar or persona. We call them dream guests. So it's, you, your future should be like a party on an island because it's going to be pretty hard. So make it a motherfucking party. Pardon my French. And, and the old game that people will say, uh, they, they don't want to come and they don't want to come and this is going to be a problem. Hey, hey, we're making a party. Okay, we're making a party. Of course, people want to come and then make the attraction. You know, what's the invitation? What's the sound? What's the feeling that you want them to have? If you have a, a product that's interesting for a lot of people and you can't target who's your customer. And mind you, I've had my own business for like 20 years. It's a big day. It took me 16 years before I knew who my customer was. <laughs> it's the one who pays the bill. <laughs> so it takes a lot of time because yeah. you might be marketing or selling to somebody who is the audience, but somebody else has to pay the bill. And, and you need to have a connection with them. And, and that's again, well, just say to yourself, of course they want to come. I know it's amazing that they're coming to my island. They're, they're, their life is going to be so much better. Look at what the, the feeling that they have now. So what is the sensation that they're sitting with? And when they come to your party island, what's the sensation that they're sitting with? I imagine that this is loneliness, frustration. Um, I think many, many young people, when they get a job, have this sensation of uh, discontent. You know, that it, I came with all this hope. And is this really it? Is this it? And then they can't see themselves out of it. So they despair. And... If you can say, well, well it should be, the, mo the emotion you should have is, I can conquer the world, we can do it together. 
nobody is going to have success by themselves. That's actually one of my selling points right now is that no one will succeed by themselves. You can forget about it. Then we have Piss Off Island. As you can hear, I use a lot of very nice academic uh, concepts. <laughs> but the, the Piss Off Island is a little bit offshore from your party island. So if you have customers who come and piss on your island, there's a, there's a ferry <laughs> that goes back and forth. And then you can say, just, you know, you know go, go to Piss Off Island because nobody is supposed to piss on your island. You know, you're an amazing person with a fantastic dream and you are doing all this work. You, you owe it to yourself to make it to, a, you know, a party mm. and create this beat and this feeling because it's going to be amazing. Mm. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I would also add, um, I think what Anders just said there is fantastic. I mean, to me, again, I, I tried to translate her brilliance into, into something simple to like me can understand. I think she's talking about energy. You know, I, I think it's energy. It's how, the energy you have with that potential corporation. And I always tell people to make sure that the energy is matching for your benefit. You know, you don't want to work with a company that has the, the wrong energy. So I always tell people deals get done for three reasons. The first is you like each other. It's so overlooked. It sounds so emotional for yeah. people. But I, I, I don't care what the size of the company is. Um, and, and, you know, to find out whether you like someone, it's, you know, corporate uh, dating, it's, it's just like the real world dating. I, I've been married for 20 years, so I, I've forgotten what dating's about. But, but vaguely remember, you know, you've got to go through a lot of people to find the one that you connect with. And so in a way, um, sales is about just meeting as many as you can and then seeing, do I get on with a person? And, and I don't care what the size of the company is, you're always dealing with a person. The second element of the three things you need to make sure uh, to get a deal over the line. The second element is, do you need each other? Again, this is so overlooked. So often people will say, this is what I do, but they're not really checking either side whether they need each other. And, and it can work both ways. Sometimes they need you more than you need them, so you don't make the effort. Maybe you think they've got a small budget and you're not willing to wait for them to become a good company, for example, a big company. And so you know, that need each other piece is so vital. And, and, and then the third piece, which I always tell people, it's so easy to get sorted out, but unfortunately, the third piece is what people start with often, is this is the price for what we do. Costing. So many people start with that. They say, hi, nice to meet you. We will charge you X thousand to do a website. You know, and, and, and people get instantly, yes or no, that's fine. But what I'm saying is, they have, if you work on the first two, and the other thing I would say, uh, and I feel like um, certain gurus out there have taken these words and made them their own, which annoys me, but patience. You know, patience is such an important word in sales. And, and Anne just said it, 16 years to find out who she was, you know, like that, what she was, you know, before you could get a client that was meaningful. I had a similar experience. I, I wrote down 50 companies I wanted to work with that I felt had a similar mission to me when I first started my business. And it took me six years to have a meaningful meeting with all those people, you know, wow. and, and, and so you've got to be patient as well. And, uh, and I, I don't think people are in sales. A couple of the community are contributing to their thoughts too, which is, you know, um, Jamie here is just mentioning, like I said earlier, ask people what you can do for them um, and, and stuff like that. Now we can go on about uh, corporate relationships. Do you have any other questions in case we keep going on about that too much? I, I, I do, yeah. So I think, um, I, hopefully won't, this won't take long, but it's really just to hear what you feel have been the benefits of being a mentor. That would be a nice, mm. nice piece to talk mm. And do, do, you, uh, do you want to give your experience on that? 
Yes. Um, I, I, I have to say that if you're an entrepreneur, my experience is that everybody wants to help each other. I have a lot of, uh, I've used a lot of mentors and then I kind of like zoomed in on maybe three people because I think it takes some qualities. You know, you have to have this match to, to mm-hmm. there's this person that for me is a, he's a very famous entrepreneur in Denmark and he is so commercial and he's so annoying. <laughs> but he's straight to the point and you know again if it's annoying it's because he's right so I learned a lot from him but I, I love being a mentor also I really feel like you have to pay it forward and, and help, help a lot of entrepreneurs but when we are futurists we use a buddy system instead so maybe that could be an add-on because a mentor mentee is like I'm smarter than you so there's always this I have, it's like mirrored so here yeah. so here's the mentor and the mentee peer mentoring as well and even reverse mentoring i think there's lots of different ways of of using the system definitely i think you hear it it many times right i also heard heard it in a great like huge companies that the mentee becomes the mentor because Mm -hmm. they realize that they can actually learn more from the young person coming in but the the body sisters the body system is equal so that's more like we are going on a journey together Mm -hmm. and i can do something and you can do something and then we help each other um, on doing that that right and if I may, just because I thought about it when you two were talking, Simon, I think that it's it's so true, you know, that being likable and being a good person and being honest and, and being in it for the long haul. I have many, many, and you'll also experience that if you haven't already. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. This system will only let us record an hour of the podcast. So if you'd like to listen to more, then jump over to my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Simon Squibb. And you can hear the rest of the download from Anne and David. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you got any value from it, please give us a like or comment. We value your feedback. And feel free to share this podcast with anyone that might find understanding the future interesting.